Thank you for listening today to our podcast here at Word of Life. We're delighted that you tuned in. And I pray that while you hear us talk, you hear the Holy Spirit speak. I know God's got a big plan for you. We're excited to be a part of that plan. Hopefully we will see you sometime soon, maybe even this weekend. Until then, we pray you have a wonderful, wonderful week. Amen, amen. How many of you believe that, that there is a bright future for Jackson, Mississippi? Uh, I really believe that God is going to use our city and use our state as just a beacon to go all over the world uh, through what God does in our midst. And so we're excited for that, and we're excited to have you here. And I also want to say I am thankful for each and every person who partners with us financially from all over the world. We have people who give internationally. We have people who give uh, locally. We have people who give from other states. And I just want to thank everyone for your radical generosity. You know, Word of Life is like one big mutual fund. When you give to Word of Life, it doesn't just go to us. It goes through us uh, to missionaries all over the world, but also it goes to local outreaches right here in the heart of Jackson, Mississippi. And we are actually in 2021 kind of shifting even some of our, our financial things where we can give more into our city to establish the kingdom of God right here where we live. How many of you know we need to be establishing the kingdom of God around the world, but we can establish the kingdom of, a kingdom of God even further right here. Uh, and so obviously as a church, we're mobilizing to do things in our city, but there are also a bunch of other nonprofits and churches that are doing some wonderful things in our city as well. And instead of competing with them, uh, we just decided, well, why don't we fund them? Why don't we just give them some money and allow them to fulfill what God has on their heart? Uh, and so that's exciting. One of those ministries is We Will Go. And uh, when you give the Word of Life uh, every month, a part of that dollar goes over to We Will Go Ministries right in the heart of Jackson, Mississippi. So why don't we give it up for everyone who's giving to that's amazing you guys are the best uh let's turn open (laughs) turn open let's turn our bibles open to the book of philippians and we're going to look at philippians chapter four today philippians chapter four and verse number four and then on the screens they'll go to second corinthians chapter 11 after philippians four in philippians four paul is writing from prison He is writing from the middle of his own personal storm. Nothing about Paul's life is good or pleasant here. Uh, And he writes this scripture. They call it the joyful epistle because it's just filled with joy. The joyful letter because it's just filled with joy. How many of you know you can be in prison and still have joy? How many of you know you can be in 2020 and still have joy? That in the middle of everything, we can have joy. And watch what he writes here in Philippians 4 and verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men, for the Lord is at hand. And be careful for nothing But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. These are some of my favorite scriptures. Um, And I love how God deals with absolutes, that there is no gray area with God. When it comes to forgiveness, he's like, forgive anyone for anything. Anyone for anything. Well, what about this person? Anyone. Well, they've done it for the 72nd time. 
anyone, but they did this, anything, anyone for anything, forgive them. How many of you know God not only asks us to love people like that, how many of you know God loves us like that? Aren't you thankful for a God who will forgive anyone for anything. Well, somebody says, well, you don't know how bad I am. Anyone. Well, you don't know what I've done. Anything. Anyone for anything. There is mercy at the throne of Jesus, and there should be mercy in our own lives to those who trespass against us. Anyone for anything. When it comes to anxiety, uh, pressure, care, When it comes to like carrying these things, the Bible gives an absolute and it says, be careful for nothing. Be full of care for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Don't carry the weight for anything. Don't allow your soul to be worried. Don't allow your soul to be afraid. Jesus put it this way, take no vault for tomorrow. He said, did worrying make you taller? I like Jesus getting a little sarcastic. He's like, when you were worrying, did you get any taller, any mightier when you were worrying? It's like, well, no. He's like, then don't do it. Be worryful for nothing. Careful for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Now, what a life that would be if we could live in a world where we didn't have worries, fears, concerns, worried about what will happen with our children, worried about their grades, Worried about their attitudes, worried about the heaviness that's on them, worried about our economy, worried about will they lock us down again, worried about should it be locked down again, worried about the political world, worried about the economics of our nation, worried about terrorism, worried about all these things that we see in our world. And that's just the things in the world. What about your own life? Worried about your job? How are we going to pay these bills? The Bible is clear. It says be anxious for nothing. Now, I, 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 I can appreciate that, but I also appreciate scriptures like this. They'll put this up on the screen. This is Paul writing, and he's writing the book of 2 Corinthians. Paul actually wrote four letters to the Corinthians. Two of them are found in scripture. We call them First and Second Corinthians. They're actually the second and fourth letter Paul wrote to the church at Corinth that he established uh, in that city. And he writes these letters, we have them in scripture, and I say he writes them, but all the long letters in scripture, like 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Paul is not writing these letters, Paul is speaking these letters and someone else is writing them. The shorter letters, he's like, and I wrote this by my own hand. The long hand, he's like, I'm getting on a tangent, someone come and write this down. Uh, And he writes this letter in 2nd Corinthians, and a big part of the letter is him defending himself. And he had this reputation in this local church at Corinth um, that he was mighty in his writing, but he was weak in person, that he was not a very good public speaker. And, And so he's writing to defend himself, and he's like, look, I've been through some stuff. Anybody in this room been through some stuff? Like, he's like, I have been through some stuff. He said, four times I was beaten with a whip. Four times. Three times I was beaten with a rod. He said, once... They picked up actual stones, stoned me, I died, people prayed, and it brought me back to life. How many of you know that's a great day and an awful day all at the same time? Like, you're stoned to death, prayed for, you come to life, 
but you are still stoned. He's like, I have had awful things happen to me. He said, there was a time in my life where I spent a day and an entire night in the ocean. Like, yeah, ship turns over, I'm in an ocean for a day and a night. He said, I've been naked, I've been afraid, I've been beaten, I've had all these things happen to me. And then he ends this dialogue with this. He said, and besides everything else, I face the daily pressure. I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. He said, there is pressure that is coming on me daily. I love the honesty of Scripture. He said, I I have a concern for the church that matches all of those bad events. So I have all these bad events that have happened in my life, and I could list some that have happened in mine, friends who passed away, father who passed away. Like, I've been through famine, and I've been through, like, a a church looking like it wasn't going to make it. Like, I've been through all of those things, but... Besides all of that, the pressure that comes on me daily, what's going to happen with the church? This week, I'm going over, you know, uh, payroll, and I'm seeing we have 71 people on payroll. 71 people on payroll. Uh, You know, it's, it's amazing what God has done in our church, and I begin thinking about, like, well, what happens in the future financially? Concern, care. We live in a world that preaches, be, don't be careful for nothing. Be careful about everything. Be full of care. In fact, if you're not worried about me, you're just sorry. I'm in the hospital. You're not worried and brokenhearted. You are just sorry. You, you are just good for nothing if you're not concerned about your mama. Like, right? Like, we live in a world that preaches, be full of care. Be full of worry. Be full of anxiety. In fact, when I was writing this message, I made this note. They'll they'll put it up on the screen. We live in a world where the suffering of the entire planet can be seen at once on your daily feed. The suffering of the entire planet can be seen by everyone. You know, years ago, decades ago, uh, if something bad happened on the other side of the world, you'd never know about it. If something bad happened a state away, it may take three days to get to you. What, what you mainly saw was kind of what was going on in your family and what was going on in your little world. But now through the rise of the internet, I, I can remember I was in a, a meeting uh, this summer and I, I look at my phone because I made notes on my phone I get an alert on it, a news alert on it about a bomb that had gone off in Beirut. And it's happening by the second. I'm getting updated on it by the second. And I pull it up. And I I see this bomb go off, and then here's another video of the bomb going off, and then another video of the bomb going off. And, like, this is one thing to see it and be concerned, but, like, I love Beirut. I love Lebanon. I've been there twice. I've taken my son, who was 10 years old at the time, and walked those very streets, prayed with my son as we walked those very streets. My son, like, had such a He thought he may move to Lebanon one day to be a missionary there. And I'm seeing the very streets that I walked down with my son be blown up. And this summer, like, my kids are going through social media, and they bring me a video, a pastor post, where it's like a a person being murdered in the streets. And, like, how does a child process these things? How do we process these things? And it happens by the moment. It happens by the second where we're constantly bombarded with fear. There's a whole industry out there that makes money off of how afraid and irritated they can make you. Did you know that all the news companies, all of them, have double-digit profits this year? 
Did you know that? Did you know why none of them will report on that? Because if they reported on one, they'd have to report on themselves. Because they know that the more afraid and full of care they can make us, it equals more clicks, it equals more views, it equals more watching, which makes them more money. When you can monetize fear, And so just on our daily feeds, we have this. And meanwhile, psychologists are telling us that the effects of this in our lives, it is breaking us. It is breaking our children. The the rise of teenage suicide, teenage depression, teenage fear, like teenage jealousy, teenage envy, it is going through the roof because everybody can see everybody else's life. We can see every hurricane, every forest fire, every bad event, And God says, come to me because you are like a sheep. And you know what a sheep is? It is not a load-bearing animal. God didn't say, come to me, you donkeys. Like all of you donkeys, come to me. That you can place a heavy load on. Sheep, you put a load on a sheep, you will break a sheep. You want to see a sheep break? Ride it. You put something heavy on it, it'll break. It's not a load-bearing animal. And we are the sheep that have a shepherd. And Jesus is saying, come unto me and I will give you rest. But instead of coming unto Jesus, we're going back to the feed, back to the news, back to the bad report, back to, come on somebody, back to all these other things. And it's doing something to our souls. In the book of Psalms, the angels look out at us. The psalmist write this down, and I love this. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. This is the angels talking to God. You have made them a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned them with glory and honor. I love this imagery, crowned them with glory and honor. Now, obviously, we know when the angels saw us, they, they weren't seeing us with physical crowns. Uh, and, you know, we don't have physical crowns on here today. But when they were looking through the eyes of the Spirit, They saw man and woman walking around with authority, walking around with peace, walking around with wisdom, walking around in authority, having this crown of honor on their heads. And you know what Satan wants? He wants to take your crown. He wants to come and make you afraid, come and make you worried, come and make you think you're the provider, come and make you think you're the president, come and make you think you're the governor. Here's what I, I'll tell you what I would do. I would do A, B, and C. And it's like, well, great. How about you let me be the savior? How about you let me be God? How about you cast that care over upon me? How about you let me be who I am so you can walk around with your crown? What are you giving your crown for? You give your crown to a bill? Have we given our crown to a news organization? Have we given our crown to something that is robbing us of our glory and honor? And God is saying, why don't you come back and instead of being full of care about everything, how about you be careful for nothing because you have cast all of those cares over upon me. We're not designed to carry it. The Bible talks about this in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 7 and verse 10. For godly sorrow worketh repentance unto salvation. He says there is this thing called godly sorrow. And, and I love to talk about this. And, and he says that there's these moments in our life where God will deal with your heart to change. And, and when God is dealing with your heart to change, it's a godly sorrow. And he said, this godly sorrow, it works repentance. And if you, you've attended Word of Life for any length of time, you know, because we say this all the time, 
That repentance is not, I'm a terrible mom, I'm a terrible dad, I'm a terrible pastor. Like repentance is not like, feel sorry for myself because I've been terrible. Repentance is I'm putting my crown on and I'm changing directions. Repentance is I'm not going in that direction anymore. I'm going back to God. I'm going back to faith. I'm going back to peace. And it's walking with power in a new direction. It's saying God's going to free me from this addiction. God's going to free me from this pain. And it's walking in a brand new direction. He said, look, I'm not going to repent for godly sorrow. He says it moves people to repentance. But he says something else, but the sorrow of the world, it works death. The sorrow of the world will break something. The sorrow of the world will shut something down. A number of years ago, I brought in a guest speaker uh, to talk on the subject of depression. And the reason why I brought him in to speak on this was because he went through a time in his life where depression was just all-encompassing. He's a pastor of a church in New Mexico, and it had grown substantially. And he said, here's the way I would describe it. He said, it felt like, if I was to give like a metaphor and a word picture, uh, that at the top of my head was this plank. And on either side of the plank holding it up were like stones that were holding it up. And with each thing that happened in my life, it was like debris came on top of that plank. And kind of weighed it down. And as a pastor, of course, you have problems in your own life and problems in your own family and problems in your own church. But you also have a lot of people bringing you their problems. And over the course of pastoring for him, he saw this, that, you know, people are going to leave a church. And when they leave a church, it doesn't feel like they left the church. It feels like they left you. So you take it personally. Uh, when, when, when people criticize a church, it doesn't feel like they criticize the church. If you're the pastor, oftentimes it feels like they're, they're criticizing you. He said it wasn't like this one big event, but he said over the, the process of time, it was like I never cleaned the debris off of that plank. And year by year, it just began to stack up. And he said one day I was driving, I just had a real tough meeting. I got off the phone with someone about that meeting and just another little piece of debris of like the pain and the pressure of that meeting just kind of weighed on it. And he said it was like this thing that it was the top of my head that I could handle and that I could deal with. It's like it snapped. And when it broke, he said my whole body was filled with that pain. He said I'm driving in my car and I cannot function. I have to pull over on the side of the road, and I can't explain it, but I'm crying, and I don't know why. And all this pain is coming out of me, and I don't know what it is. And he said, and looking back, I saw it wasn't one thing. It was that this debris never left my life. I just kept all the pressure. I kept trying to be the perfect pastor. I kept trying to be the perfect father. I kept trying to be the perfect husband. And when I saw like I couldn't be all these things, the debris of shame and guilt and all of these other, picked up so much that it just broke something and flooded my whole body with that heaviness. He went through a time of regaining his life and regaining his soul. 
But why did that happen to him? Because the sorrow of the world works death. The anxiety of the world works death. The pain of the world works death. And so God comes to us and says, cast all of your care over upon me. Be anxious for nothing. And so, well, it's just a nothing. Well, you know, nothing. Be anxious for nothing. How many of you know God never gave a suggestion? He never came and said, you know, guys, if you just, we just well, I have an idea, I'll just throw out to you. And if you want to do it, great. But if you don't want to do it, oh, it's fine. I mean, you know, God doesn't give suggestions. God gives commands. And when he tells Eve, don't eat that fruit, it's because on the other side of that demand is consequence. And when God says, be anxious for nothing, it's not like it'd be a good thing if you didn't. It is like on the other side of that is something you don't want to deal with. So be anxious for nothing. My question today is how? Okay, great. Be anxious for nothing. How do you come to a place where you are anxious for nothing? Years ago, when I first started pastoring, uh, my world fell apart. <laughs> the church fell apart. It was awful. Uh, and every week, I'm looking at all the financial reports and, you know, all those types of things. And I don't know what to do with it. And, you know, it's just bad. So I called up a pastor friend of mine who at that time was in his 60s and had seen, you know, of course, God move throughout the course of decades. Now he's still pastoring and he's in his 80s. And so I called him up and I'm like, Pastor, I need help. And I start telling him all the problems that are going on in the church and all the things that I'm worried about and all the numbers that are going in the wrong direction. And I'm mad and I'm frustrated. I'm irritated. I'm a little sad all at the same time. And I'm just telling him all these things. And there's a pause on the other end of the line when I'm finally done. And he said, Brother, I'll tell you what you need to do. I'm like, yes, thank you. Finally, somebody. He's like, you need to cast all of your care over upon the Lord. And that was it. And I kid you not, I got mad. Like, I literally got mad. I'm like, you don't think, I didn't say this, but here's what I was saying. You don't think, I didn't think of that? Like, you don't think that that thought didn't come to my mind, that I'm not made to carry all this? Like, you don't think that that wasn't at the forefront of my thought, that I need to get in faith over this instead of fear? Like, you don't think that casting all of my care over upon the Lord was not something I didn't think of? It's like, of course I did. But every day it comes back. Every day it's still there. How do you cast your care over upon the Lord when it feels like you don't have the strength to? I didn't say all of that. I think I just said, God bless you, and hung up the phone. <laughs> but my question is, is like for Paul, the pressure of the church daily, the pressure of bills daily, the pressure of it looks like you're failing as a father, the pressure of it looks like it's not getting better, the pressure of just your own life and then throw on top of that all the pressure and care of the world that's right there on our feed. What do we do with this pressure? Well, the good news is for the Bible is it helps us because the Bible is not meant to be read. The Bible is written to be meditated on. If you read it, you'll never get the fullness out of it. And what I want to do today for the, the last, you know, five, ten minutes of this message is just meditate on these verses with you together. And I believe when we do, we're going to see how to be careful for nothing and move out of the hurt and anxiety. Number one, it tells us to rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. Philippians 
chapter 4 and verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Uh, This word rejoice is interesting. It means to be full of cheer. Now, you would think rejoice would mean to be full of joy, uh, but it doesn't mean that. It actually means to be full of cheer. Now, when you think of joy, it can be anything from calm delight to laughing out loud, but cheer is always cheer. And when you think of cheer, think of cheer. I have two sons in football. Uh, One's in seven, so it's still flag football. My other is in sixth grade, and so it gets a little bit more, you know, professional and organized, and they actually have cheerleaders. Uh, And so the cheerleaders are constantly giving cheer, like, beat them, bust them, that's our custom. Beat them, bust them, that's our custom. Beat them, bust them. It just keeps going. It's like the reason why I know that so well is they only know like three cheers and that one gets done every time. I mean like every time. Beat them, bust them, that's sorry. Beat them. Uh, So we have them cheering them on. Now we know that the Bible exhorts us to praise. Like we know that. And we know to come into a place where we make our boast upon God. Where, where you and I are singing praises unto God. But this verse tells us, rejoice and again I say rejoice. To have this life that is filled with cheer. Now, I, I wrote this, this point in my message and this morning I woke up and was meditating on my message for my personal devotional. And I pulled out an article on praise and worship and had this quote in it from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said, praise is inner health made audible. I love that. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. If you're not taking notes, you can still write that down. Praise is inner health made audible. When you are healthy spiritually, you have a song in your heart. When you are healthy spiritually, there are praises coming out of your mouth. And I'm not talking about knowing the song perfectly. I'm talking about when the bad news hits, it's God will provide, God will make a way. When when you're looking at what's going on with that child, it's like, man, we can look at this or we can pray about it. Come on, let's go before God. God, you're bigger. You're our comforter. You're our guide. It's cheering God on. And when you can do that, you are healthy spiritually. But when you can sit there and you just meditate on the problem and you just read one more article and you look at that bill again and again and again and you and your wife sit there and just talk about how bad that child has been again and again and again and you just circle that mountain again and again and again, God is not able to move the mountain. But you begin to cheer God on, praise, pressures, performance. And when you send the praisers out, it enables God to fight some battles for you. But cheer does not just allow God to fight battles for you. Cheer switches you over from fear to faith. David went through some terrible things, but the Bible writes that he encouraged himself in the Lord. After he has a son die, like David's life encountered death. After he has a son die, you know what he does? He puts on the ephod, the garment of a praiser. 
And he begins to praise God because when you rejoice, it makes your soul healthy. Sometimes you got to shout something out of your heart. Sometimes you got to shout fear out of your heart. Sometimes you got to shout doubt out of your heart. Sometimes you got to shout the care out of your heart. You got to praise the care out of your heart. You got to lift up your voice and get what's in you out of you and cast that care. How? Rejoice. He said, I know. Well, I just did. He said, and again I say. Well, I just, and again I say. So we just had church. And again, I in the car, God will make a way. At work, God is the provider. In the car, God is taking care of this. God is our healer. I'm not going to take the care. Instead, I'm going to rejoice. Number two, I'm going to feed my gentleness. I'm going to feed my gentleness. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 5, Uh, In the King James, it says, let your moderation be known unto all men. Now, that word moderation, it's like, what in the world does that mean? You look it up, and the actual correct translation is not moderation. It's gentleness. Gentleness. And, and, And you see this here in the NIV. Let your gentleness be evident as all. Why? I know the Lord is near. Well, I'm gentle. Why? I know the Lord is near. I'm walking by green pastures. Why? I know the good shepherd is near. I'm walking by still waters. Gentle. Why? I know the shepherd is near. Can, Can I ask you a question today? How's your gentleness been? How's your gentleness been? Has it been evident to all? Have people been around, man, he's gentle today. Look at her, she's so gentle today. Like, have you seen gentleness a lot in our society? Gentleness there. The lack of gentleness is a sign of care. It's a sign of worry. But you get someone who's gentle, it's a different thing. Jesus said this, he said, it's not what goes in your mouth that defiles your spirit. He said, oftentimes when we think of, of, you know, our bodies being defiled, we think of what goes in our mouth. And some of you, maybe you've eaten something from a time to time, and when you ate it, it's like, ooh, that defiled me. (laughs) And we won't go into detail there. But, you know, it's like you got food poisoning or something like that. There's this moment in Scripture where the prophet comes in, and there's all the children of the prophets there, and he's wanting to feed them. So he gets this guy, and he's like, go gather food that we may eat, and we're going to make a stew. And this guy, you know, he's hurrying, and he's rushing. And without thinking about it, he grabs an herb that has death in it. In his haste, he's just so running, gathering life. You know, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, and he's moving so fast. that he, He gathers an herb that has death in it. And without thinking about it, he puts that in the pot. And when he puts that in the pot, everybody begins to eat out of it, including him. He pulls back and they realize, we just consumed something that was deadly. That in my haste, I put something in my body that was deadly. Now the spiritual parallel is this, is Jesus is saying, when it comes to your spirit, it's not what goes in your mouth that defiles you. He said, it's what goes in your eye. He said, if your body is filled with darkness, if your eye is filled with darkness, your whole body will be filled with heaviness. But if your eye is filled with light, your whole body will be filled with life. See, your mouth feeds your body. Your eyes and your ears, it feeds your spirit. Can I ask you a question today? I'll just ask it to me. I'll just make it personal. Have I been feeding my gentleness? 
Has what I've been watching, has what I've been listening to, has it been feeding my gentleness? Has what I've been watching, has what I've been reading, has what I've been looking at, has it been feeding my faith? Has it been feeding my devotion? Has it been feeding my forgiveness? Has it been feeding my, my hope and my dreams and my desires? Or has what I've been allowing to enter in my eyes and my ears, has it been feeding my fear? Has it been feeding my lust? Has what I've been consuming spiritually, what I've allowed in front of my eyes, what I've allowed in my ears, has it been feeding my anger? Has it been feeding like a spirit of division in me? As what I've been taking in, is it turning me into who Christ wants me to be? Or is it turning me in into who the enemy wants me to be? Have I been feeding my gentleness? We have this saying like when it comes to physical health, you are what you eat. You are what you eat. And spiritually speaking, you are exactly what you've been eating. If I'm filled with fear, it's because I ate some. If I'm filled with anxiety, it's because I let my eyes and my ears go there. If I'm filled with anger, it's because I ate some. But if I'm filled with faith, it's because I ate some. If I'm filled with praise, it's because I ate some. If I'm filled with love, it's because I ate some. If I want to live it, I've got to eat it. And I need to feed my faith, feed my gentleness with praise and worship. I need church. I need scripture. I need meditation. And if something has a spirit of heaviness on it, I need to be honest with me and say, if I consume that in my life, the same spirit on that is the same spirit that will get on me. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. There was this child, it's one of my, my favorite stories, there was this child whose father passed away. And out of this, this pain and this loss, he was angry. And so oftentimes when you see a man angry, there typically is pain there. And so, you know, everybody's like so nervous about him and trying to like, you know, consume this child and like take him over and correct his behavior because he's lashing out and he's being so angry and like all these types of things. And they know he's hurting, but they've been so concerned about his behavior uh, that they can't see the hurt any longer. They just see the hurting he's causing. So there's a lot of correction and there's a lot of boundaries and all these kinds of things. And finally, a wise grandfather entered into this boy's life. And he said, son, on the inside of you, there are two wolves. And of course, his son, his you know, grandson's paying attention to this. Two wolves on the inside of me? He said, yes. And he said, they're at war with each other. One's a good wolf and one's a bad wolf. And the son looked at his, his uh, grandfather and said, well, which wolf is going to win? And the grandfather said, whichever one you feed the most. Do you know on the, on the inside of you, there's still flesh. Do you know on the flesh, it loves, ooh, your flesh loves some fear. Why? It wants to be in control. It wants to be the fixer. It wants to be the savior. It wants to guard everything, keep everything. Your soul will love some fear. Your, soul, so, uh, your, 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 your flesh, it loves the gratification of the flesh. It'll lust at the drop of a hat. It'll crave it. It'll desire it. But you know what the Bible tells us we can do? That we can kill the flesh. You know how you kill the flesh? You stop feeding it. And if you stop feeding it and you start giving your spirit some life, you start feeding your faith, you start getting in the word of God, you start getting around people and things that inspire you, you start getting around dreams and hopes, you start getting around people who have a spirit of faith on them. 
And that good wolf, it'll get stronger and stronger and stronger. And through the Spirit, you will mortify the deeds of the flesh, including anxiety. You've got to change your spiritual diet. Let your gentleness be made known unto all. And thirdly, I love this. You have to turn that care. Oh, we're getting, we're getting classic here. You've got to turn that care over into prayer. And verse 6, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer. This past week, I went to North Carolina. And I, I went up there to go see a mentor of mine, and him and his wife uh, invited me and my wife to just spend time with them on the outer banks of North Carolina. Juan Cheese, North Carolina. And we go out there on the outer banks, and we're there just having a, a great time. And still out in this area, they have wild horses. So you, you can get in a, a truck and go out on the sand dunes, and you, you can see these wild horses that are just running. It's interesting, I was reminded of this when I'm, when I'm watching the, these horses, it's like you, you can see that, like how God has crowned humanity. It's almost like there are certain animals that are crowned too, that there's just something that is majestic about it. And I'm watching these horses run and the strength that's coming from them and like this liberty that's coming from them and how strong these horses are. And I didn't realize it, but when I got educated on, I'm not a horse guy, but when you see these wild horses acting so, what looks like it's majesty, they're actually running in fear. Because the horse, it is strong, and the horse, it is mighty, but on the inside, it has a heart of vulnerability. That on the inside, it's not sure of who it is or what it can do. And so out of fear, it'll run, and you can't ride it. Out of fear, it'll, it'll jump, and you can't ride it. Out of fear, it'll kick. It, it'll sometimes act angry, but it's not angry, it's afraid. But if you take a good horseman, apparently, you can come to this horse, you can grab it by its head, and grab it by its mane, and know how to bring peace to it, know how to bring comfort to it know how to bring life to it. And if you stay with it long enough and you look in its eyes deep enough, if you come to it strong enough, I didn't even know this, but they'll say that horse will let out a sigh. And it's so audible and it's so coming from the inside that you can tell it's just completely at peace with you. That care exited out of that horse and you can get on that horse's back and you can ride him wherever the destination may be. You can take it wherever you want to take it. You can do with it whatever you want to do with it. But first, you got to get that sigh out of that horse. You have to get that care out of that horse. You got to get that desperation and that hurt and that fear out of that horse. And you don't do it by beating the horse. You don't do it by yelling at the horse. You do it by looking the horse 
horse in the face and letting them know there's someone here who cares about you. There's someone here who is for you. There's someone here you can trust. There's someone here that you can absolutely rely on. And God says, I know I crowned you with glory and honor. And I know that within you, potential is unlimited. That there's nothing you can't do and no mountain you can't move. That I know I've crowned you with glory and I've honored you with my majesty and I've made you to reign in life as kings. But I also know that on the inside, there are moments in your life where you feel inwardly vulnerable, where you're not sure you're good enough, where you're not sure you're going to be a good enough dad or a good enough husband. You're not sure you're going to be a good enough provider or a good enough healer. And you're going to have moments in life where it looks like there's a sickness so big you can't heal it. And you're going to come to life. We're going to look and see bills so big you can't pay them. But in this moment, I want you to do something. I want you to come unto me. You are afraid. You're nervous. It's okay. You're not the rider. You're just the horse. You come and you bring your head to me. And I'll look in your eyes and show you. You can trust me. Show me. Show you that you can rely on me. Show you that you're going to make it through this. So you bring me everyone. You bring me everyone. And you bring me everything. You just set it at my feet. In the book of Matthew, you see all these people have all these broken people in their lives. It said for three days they just came before Jesus and set all these broken things at the feet of Jesus. And he healed them all. That's all prayer is. Sometimes it's as simple as a one-minute pause where you just come to God and say, God, I give you everyone. I give you everything. I give you my daughter. I don't know what to do about this. I don't know how to face this. But I give you everyone. I give you my daughter. And you can still feel the tension. You can still feel you, you haven't let go of that side. So you come back, I give you my daughter. I give you my daughter. I don't know what to do about this. I don't know how to face this, but I know you do. I give you my daughter, and you do it again, and you do it again. You keep casting that care over upon him, and finally the eyes of the Savior will lock eyes with that mother, will lock eyes with that dad, and you'll feel a sigh come out of your spirit, and you know you have released that thing unto God, and God says, now you watch what I do with that daughter. You watch the peace I can bring you. You watch the joy I can bring you. I release everyone, and I release everything. God, I give you these bills. I know it feels like I'm failing my family. I know it feels like I'm not good enough at this. I know it feels like it'll never turn, it'll never break. I know it feels like the economy might turn around, but God, I give you everything. God, I know you'll send a raven if you have to send a raven. God, I know you'll make bread come out of heaven. If you gotta rain it down on me, you did it for the children of Israel. You'll do it for me. God, I release everything into your care still feel that tinge of anxiety so God no 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 I release that unto you God you're my provider you will make a way where there is no way you begin praising you begin rejoicing and all of a sudden you feel that sigh just kind of come out of your chest and you know God's gonna write this thing God's gonna take it where it needs to go he's gonna move the mountains he's gonna alter the course because you just simply brought it to the feet of Jesus You stop trying to be the hero of the story. You're not the hero, but Jesus is. You're not the provider. But Jesus is. You're not the healer, but I sure know one. I know a healer, and his name is Jesus. 
And so at both campuses today, I want to stand and worship. And while we're worshiping, maybe you just make a decision. I need to rejoice. Like, I just need to sing something out of me. I just need to praise something out of me. I just need to just take this care and just sing it out of me. Or maybe you're here today and just like, I need to make a dedication. I need to change what I've been feeding on. That in my, my, before my eyes and my ears, I haven't been feeding my gentleness. I've been feeding my fears. I've been feeding my anger. I need to go to the word of God and feed my spirit. I, I need to not just live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And maybe today you make that dedication. Or maybe today while we're worshiping, you just say, Father, I give you everyone. I give you everything. And as soon as you say that, you know there's a thing in your life you need to give to Jesus. There's a person in your life, maybe it's you. Do you need to give to Jesus? And just say, Father, I surrender this. I take this broken thing and I just set it at your feet, Jesus. And while we're worshiping, you're, you're praying. And you say, God, I give you everyone. I give you everything. I give you everyone. I give you everything. And let's have a moment at both campuses where we just cast our cares over upon the Lord. Let me pray for you, and then we can stand and worship. Father, we come before you today, and we thank you all over the world right now. And at both campuses, we make a decision to cast our care over upon you. We're not the hero, but you are. And so, Father, we just come and we give you our head and we give you our hearts and we thank you. You breathe life into us. You bring peace into us. You breathe joy into us. You breathe strength into us. You breathe anointing into us. That you anoint our head with fresh oil. Father, we thank you for filling us with your Holy Spirit. We thank you for healing hurts today. We thank you for healing marriages today. For healing families today. For healing our daughters today. For healing our sons today. Father, we thank you you're going to do the impossible because that's what you do. You start with the impossible. And Father, we thank you in Jesus' name that we just cast our care over upon you. For we know we have this blessed assurance that Jesus is mine. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a Savior. And Father, we thank you that today we just give our lives to you. We love you, Father. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name.